doing in a series called Blessings or Living in Covenant. And what we've been doing is taking the Old Testament blood covenant process, and we've been tearing that apart. There are seven actions in a blood covenant, and we're gonna, we've been just tearing those apart and seeing how that worked in the Old Testament. What does that mean? What does it mean now that we are in a new covenant under the blood of Jesus? And I, the reason we're doing that, remember, we're trying to move away from barbaric thinking or Greek thinking and to where we begin to think in covenant terms, which is Hebraic. When we begin to think as the Hebrews would think regarding the scripture about who God is. Because as a Hebrew thinker, we realize that we are man. Man is made up of weakness, sin, and brokenness. But that our God is there's no limit to our God, and He is our f- complete answer. It's not humanity's best that's our answer. It's not being uh, mean or barbaric to try to control somebody. That's not the answer. The answer is found only in God, in God alone. So that's kind of the overall picture of what we're looking at about living in covenant. Last week, if you'll remember, we, we had the first part of this great exchange that occurs in a blood covenant. It's the exchange of the robe. And I brought the old coat, which represented me and my flesh and my sin and my weakness and my failure. And I took that coat off and I exchanged that with the Lord. And the Lord gave me his cloak or his robe, which was righteousness. Didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. It was a gift that he gave to me. So I exchanged my my brokenness, my sinfulness, my, for his righteousness. It's a good exchange. You're going to find the further we go through this covenant, it would be so foolish for any of us to not make this exchange with God for what he does in our life. Today we're going to look at the second step, and that was the exchange of the belt around the outer garment or out uh, on the tunic. They would have a central belt it would be a little bit wider and it'd be a pretty sturdy belt. That uh, what, what happens is in this belt, you would put, if you're out working in the farm, you might put some implements in that belt. Just like if you're a carpenter and you got a modern tool belt, you got a hammer on the side and you got your tape measure and you got your nail, nails here and you got your whatever on this side. But it was that similar thing. You would use that belt. As to hold your instruments of labor. But today what we're going to look at it as is it will be a belt which holds the instruments of war. You would basically have three options. would be a dagger, a sword, or a bow and at that time. So they would carry those types of things inside of the belt. And there was so, after the robes were exchanged... Then they would take this belt off, which had their weaponry on it, and they would exchange that with one another. Now, the picture of this is very significant as we get to see how, once again, it is a great exchange for us. Bottom line, with the belt, we're exchanging my weakness or our weakness for his strength. Our ability to fight in victory, our inability to fight for victory, to his ability to fight victory for us. So it's a great exchange. In the New Testament, or under the New Covenant, Jesus is a partner in spiritual warfare. See, one of the main reasons you would make a blood covenant, 
let's say we were a tribe, and there's, uh, I don't know, there's 250-ish people here today, and we were a tribe, and, but the tribes around us started at 1,000, and there would be 5,000 over on this tribe, 10,000 over here, and so that at any point, if any one of those tribes wanted to come in and possess us to make us become slaves or to uh, get our, the prosperity of the place that we live for their benefit, we would have no chance with our belt and with our tools, with our weapons. We would be outmanned, outnumbered, and would have no possibility. So that's the reason for a lot of blood covenants in the Old Testament where a small tribe could not in any way defend itself against and in invaders coming in to possess them. What they basically do is kill the men, make women slaves, and children would be raised up in a whole different culture to believe and follow their way. That's much like today. As a culture will want to come in and overcome your, your, your tribe. If you were a Hebrew tribe, a, a Christ-believing tribe, there are bigger tribes outside of us now in America because they said not too long ago that we just became post-Christian nation. I don't know when you heard that. It kind of hurt, didn't it? That we've, we've moved to the point where the unbelievers now out, outweigh, the outnumber the, the believers. Well, in that culture, what you would do, you would make a covenant with one of those bigger tribes. So that if somebody ever come against us, that tribe promised to come in and fight with us for our protection, for our victory, where we would have no chance before when they heard of our battle, they came and joined us, then we, have, then we could win. I was reading a book a few years ago, it's called Fuzzy Memories by Jack Hanley. Let me read you a line. There used to be a bully who would demand my lunch money every day. Since I was smaller, I'd just give it to him. Then I decided to fight back started taking karate lessons, but the instructor wanted $5 a lesson, and that was a lot for a little boy. So I found out it was easier to pay the bully than to learn how to defeat him. He said, may I might add that many Christians don't realize that they're living on a battlefield, not on a playground. And many believers potentially have decided that it's easier to pay the bully than to learn how to defeat him. If we do, that keeps us in weakness and it keeps us in a form of Christianity that denies the power. And the scripture says stay away from people like that. That denies the power of God. So today's message is about are we willing to stand to learn to fight the bully in, an, in a way that we can win. So we don't have to keep paying him so that we, who, we think that he might stop bothering us. Well, That comes with the exchange of the belts. Have you ever been sinned against, hurt, abused? Somebody maligned you, libeled you, spoke against you, wrote against you, uh, hurt you? A good friend that turned their back or threw you under the bus, so to speak. Have you ever been in the place where you have been unjustly treated and it wounded you deeply? It's almost like you can't live in this planet and not experience that somewhere. On this journey. 
We've talked about it before, but there can grow this unforgiveness that grows into a corkscrew of root that goes into bitterness. And once it has us, it controls our heart. It'll control our life. It could be that you were hurt by somebody in your family. Easy to see that happen. Could be you're hurt by a kid at school. That happens probably every day. You know what it can be? You got hurt in a church. There's a lot of people out here in houses all around us today that once went to church. And you know why they don't go today? They got hurt. Somebody hurt them. If that's like you or if you, that might be you or you're considering that or you've been dealing with that issue, this understanding of having Jesus as our covenant partner might be a real answer for you today. When you begin to understand he's the warrior with the strength that partners with us for victory. The belt from which hung the sword and the dagger represents his strength. And that each partner pledges at that point when we exchange belts, we're pledging to fight for the victory of either partner. If the bigger, stronger group went into war, we, we wouldn't hesitate. We'd get up in our war outfit and we'd go with them in order to fight on their behalf. Because in covenant, we give up our, our focus on ourselves when we start focusing on Him. One thing I need you to understand clearly that the Scripture's uh, fairly clear. We're born into a war. We're born into a battle. It is a battle against good and evil. Darkness and light. It's a battle against demonic forces and the force of God's kingdom. There is a battlefield going on. We may not know it and you may be sitting there today and don't even believe it. But I do know that if the Lord would answer a prayer that said, Lord, open our eyes like he did the prophet that one time. Open his eyes. Let him see. And he saw into a spirit realm that we, this realm, we don't, are not able to see, he saw, remember, that those chariots of fire, the army of the Lord that was ready to fight on, the, on behalf of his people. There is a battle going on. It's for your soul, personally. It's for your family. It's for your church. It's for your nation. And it's real. The, wep- the, the enemy uses three pronged weapons if you're making notes write these down it's the ones the weapon of the world this is the the spirit of the world which drags us back into being selfish consumers do you remember when Israel was coming out of the bondage in Egypt and it got a little difficult on the journey and they started murmuring and moaning and griping and complaining and they were saying we're going to starve to death out here back in bondage at least we had onions or we had leeks we had something to eat and pots of meat out here we don't we don't know what's going to happen and so there was this attraction this pull to go back into your life of sin into your life of bondage because we're familiar with it I'll tell you something it's really hard to get away from what we're familiar with what we've been trained in even if it's wrong it's hard to get away from it I want to say to you that I'd like to, if I could give a name to it, I would call it meism or consumerism. We know it well. I mean, our, our nation's economy is based on this concept of consumer, being a consumer. But I'd like to tell you that meism is killing you. It is killing your marriages. 
meism is killing your children. The meism is killing our nation. Because we have bought, and you, I saw this with great shock, that as a nation, a large portion of us were willing to vote in a socialist leader. Did that shock anybody that, at the level of that vote? For Bernie Sanders, I'm not trying to get political here, but the concept is basically straight-up socialism, which says, you have it, you give it to me. I deserve it. That's meism, And we've created that as a generation now, and we, it's surprisingly how strong that movement was. We may see it again in another election cycle. I don't know. But I'll tell you, uh, you know where else it's killing? The church. Meism is killing the church. Consumerism. If it goes unchecked, I've given it the title Walmart Christianity. I want it cheap. I want it quick. I want it the way I want it. And I want it the way when I want it. You know what happens when we give in to that in our human nature the reason that it's the spirit of the world, it, it attracts us back to power of God of ourself. We become Lord of our own life. And so that's the power that goes all the way back to the tree in the Garden of Israel, of, of Egypt, Eden, whatever that place was. It's the same temptation that was there. Remember what Satan said? God's kind of keeping the best from you. If you'll do this, you'll be able to have, you'll be able to see as God, think as God, you'll know as God. And so that temptation, just give in to it. it. What it creates and why it hurts this church so much is that we have to make a determination of what kind of a church we're going to be. Are we going to be a type of church that creates an environment to please the meism in my humanity? My pleasure, the way I want it, when I want it, and how I want it? Or are we going to try to create a church that elevates God and Hebrew thinking God above all and we come in in honor and, and uh, worship of a living God see it's two different things it's two different ways you do a church or function as a church the meism says we find out what's the most popular and do that we we try to find a way to squeeze it into 55 minutes so that it you know we can do it within an amount of time you understand what I'm saying we can have this pressure of meism and it very well has, uh, I think, affected negatively the church. Eric Geiger wrote, A personal consumer checklist. Let me, let me let you check your own life against it. He wrote this. Church consumers treat their church, their local churches, like a country club. We've paid our fees and we deserve a certain level and type of service for our pay. Consumerism, consumers threaten to join another club if things are not like to their liking in this club. Church consumers are not motivated by the mission of the church, but they're motivated by themselves. Church consumers gather to evaluate worship, but not worship. We do need to be consumers of the word of God. So that we bring our minds captive. Because my flesh is humanistic. 
My flesh is consumerism to 110% until I can bring my flesh captive or what, what Jesus says, you want to follow me? Take up your cross. It's that thing that kills you. Let that kill me who I am so that I might follow him with an unlimited thing. The weapons of the world are in John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. For all that is in the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Real quickly, the lust of the flesh is the drives of this physical man, of the physical body. There's the sex drive, there is hunger, food drive, there's thirst, there's uh, uh, liquid drive for, for to keep the body alive. Uh, for safety, we protect ourselves. So those are drives that are built within this flesh. And if that is not carefully managed or under the control of the Spirit, it begins to consume us completely, this lust of the flesh. And he says there's the lust of the eyes. That means I want things. If I want that, I want it. It's I need this because I am, and notice every one of these have to do with lust. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and then it gets into the last one, pride of life, which basically means I want to be God of me, and I want it done the way I want it done. The second part of that is the flesh. So we have the world, that's the world using this flesh, and the, the second one is the flesh, and it drives us back. Paul said in Galatians 5.17, the flesh lusts, there's the word again, there's this in drive, the, the flesh lusts against the Spirit of God. And the Spirit is against those lusts of the flesh. And they're contrary to one another so that you don't do the things that you wish. This carnal shell, that body that was shaped by, from dirt and formed into you, has all of these temptations that are just built within it. And as you get older, and it happens even in younger, but I'm noticing more as the older I get, is that it gets tired. So it has these uh, limitations, and you start seeing more and more of the limitations that are in the flesh. We're also, I've noticed, very susceptible to fear. Scared all the time. Anxious. And if I could... If we had a scoreboard to hook into your brain, and you had the scoreboard over here that says peace thoughts, that God's in control, that he's Lord of lords, he's, and you could see the number of thoughts that go on this board, and then you have this plugged into this board over here, and it revealed the number of thoughts of anxiety, worry, fear, all the what-ifs of the world, I think a lot of us would see this scoreboard going crazy. And this one may not hit as often. So we're prone to those things in our life. And it drags us down. It pulls us away from the Spirit of God. You know what? There's a good chance some of you didn't want to be here today. Thought about, ooh, it'd be nice. It's cool. I'll just turn over here and go to doctor. Uh, go to church in my bed and with Dr. Sheets teaching me. Some didn't feel like reading the Bible this week. Some didn't feel like taking that time to pray. Some of us didn't feel like we should talk with that person who was down or broken in spirit and they needed to know Jesus and we just didn't feel like doing it. And my question is, that's that flesh draw that wars against the spirit within us. 
Romans 8.22 For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting the adoption, the redemption of our body. So we know when I'm talking to you about it, you know there's almost a groaning within. Knowing that that flesh war that we fight, that everybody in here fights. So we have the world, we have the flesh, and then we have the devil. Let's look at him together. Because we're trying to figure out how to fight. And I'm going to show you that the, in just a moment. The fight is not with our weapons. The fight will be with supernatural weapons that the Lord has given us. And he says they're very powerful for the pulling down of what? What was it? strongholds if I don't get to that strongholds is a place in your mind where we have picked up a belief that is not true but we have built an entire fortress around this wrong belief and so it becomes a stronghold and we can't get around it because it has built such a fort in our mind that we can't walk in victory because it is a a place of bondage And he says, now notice that is where your battle is going to be fought in this area of stronghold or wrong belief. Remember when Jesus was tempted? What did Satan tempt him with in that desert scene? He He tempted him with scripture, didn't he? He said, if you do this, and doesn't it say this in the word? And what he did, he would take the truth of the word and then with a little twist on it, begin to build a stronghold. Try to get a stronghold in their mind. You know what we do? We don't know it. We don't ever say it. But we believe God's word, but we don't really believe that it works for me. And if we keep that going very long, it will begin to be a stronghold where truth will not ever penetrate it. Because we've built this fortress around this wrong belief. The devil. He fights to make sure that he's going to steal from you, kill, and destroy your very influence for God's kingdom. That's his plan. When you're an unbeliever, when you are lost in your sin, and when you're in bondage to the, the, world, the world and the enemy's plan, he probably doesn't have to mess with you much. He really doesn't. You just offer a little temptation there and we run to it like a dog to a bone. But when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, the war's on. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy you. You're a threat from that point on. When you come to the cross of Christ and you kneel and say, God, forgive me, he does. He already did. But when you say, Lord Jesus, put on me the robe of your righteousness so that I might be found in you, you just put on a target also on your back by the enemy. That's the bully that I talked about at the beginning. Do we want to pay him just to keep him, to leave us alone? Or do we want to fight? We're going to get to that real quickly. We've been sitting. Let's stand, please. Let's go look at Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. This is a very familiar passage, if you know anything about spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6.10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God that you'll be able to take your stand against the devil's schemes. We'll get to that in a minute. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We think it is. We're fighting against people, but it didn't. But against rulers, circle it. Against authorities, figure out what that is. Against the powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, 
Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth. There it is. We just found out what the belt is. Stand firm then with the belt of truth. Buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. With your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the saints. Lord, bless this part of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Let you be seated. I want to go quickly here. The belt is basically truth. And what we're fighting against, listen, stay with me. I don't have much longer. And what we're fighting against is lies, is deception. The belt is truth, and what we're fighting against is lies and deception. Satan's words are always, listen carefully, are always lies. Because it says he, when he speaks in lies, he's speaking his native language. Because he is the father of of lies. And so he's going to bring you and but watch it, he'll bring you partial truth and then twist it with a lie. We know that he's he has schemes, all kinds of things to get us uh, messed up. So we have to have the belt of truth and the belt of truth we're going to real quickly look at him in just a moment. But who do we fight? Rulers. Here's what I think as I've studied this and there are different interpretations. But I think there these rulers are a demonic force much like a company would be built with a CEO and then you have different layers of leadership or like a military I believe the the demonic forces are set up similar to a military structure where you have a, a commander a general and then he break down to uh, different levels of that military uh, format and he says here the upper level is called rulers in this passage so, in my mind, that means that there is a fairly large demonic force leader over a continent. Each continent probably has one major head. And then it goes on to say authorities. So that head di divides up that continent into different large areas where there is an authority given to that next level of the demonic. You break it on down, you get to powers, and that's demonic demons who have been given under that territory, a specific region. This is yours. And then at the very last part of that, uh, Ephesians says that there are spiritual forces. And I think that's strategies, plots, and schemes. So you got this hierarchy that we can't see that is probably more real than that chair you're sitting in. And that this authority is functioning from a high level down to a minute level of, of spiritual forces seeking your destruction. Now, that's the bully. And we could get scared of him. We could. And then we could just learn to pay the bully price or give him our lunch money. Or we can learn to stand up against it and win. That's what I want us to do. That's what I want to do. And here's what we're going to figure out how to do that today. The belt is called truth, and it has two weapons we've just seen. The first weapon is the sword of the Spirit, 
which is what? The sword of the Spirit is what? The Word of God. There, I finally heard it. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. That's the belt. That, okay, when we exchanged belts with the Lord, we took off our belt and we had a little Nerf gun here. And I had a little plastic uh, sword on this side. And so that's about my effectiveness of fighting against this bully. I could shoot him with my Nerf gun and he's going to just beat the snot out of me. Right? I'm not going to touch him. I could even take out my plastic sword and turn the light that flashes inside and it wouldn't mess with him. But when I exchanged belts with the Lord, I was given a weapon that he says, this will defeat every form of darkness. And how do we do it? He said, it's the, on this belt of truth, it's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This Word fights against everything that the enemy says to you. Let me give you an example. If the enemy says to you, you're useless. You're useless. Sit down and be quiet. Don't stand up for the Lord. I will come against you. You say to him, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You just spoke truth to lies. You just had a weapon that just wiped out that lie. And the power of that lie. Once you declare that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, that lie falls at your feet. But you have to have the weapon and you have to know how to use it when the, when the enemy brings his weapon against you. The enemy says to you, you are hopeless. There's a good chance that someone came into this house today and the enemy's been really screwing around with your mind. Thinking, nobody cares for me. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares if I live or I die. Hopelessness begins to set in. If that's you, I would say something like this. The God of hope, it's the theme theme of the Hamlin uh, message. The God of hope has filled me with all joy and peace as I trust in him. I am now overflowing with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, Romans 15, 13. So you're hopeless, you begin to declare by truth, this is who God is for me. And hopelessness will start falling away. The enemy may say to you, you're just too bad. You're too, you're messed up. All the things that you've done, there's no chance that God can, can love you. And you pull out this weapon off of the belt and you say, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but we're justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. Lies, truth. The belt is the belt of truth. And the second part of the second weapon, it says, pray in the spirit. So you got truth, which is God's word, and you got prayer in the spirit, very specifically, which is the second. This is mentioned three times that I found in scripture, real quickly. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14 says, if I pray in a tongue or an unknown language, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? He says, I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. Ephesians 6, 18 says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Third time is in Jude 20. But you, dear friends, build yourself up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. All right, some of you are scared already, but let me tell you what that means. 
When you take the words Greek in the original from pray in and you go back to the original language, here's the definition. Pray by means of the Spirit. Pray with the help of the Spirit. Pray in the sphere of the Spirit. Pray in connection to the Spirit. Bottom line of praying in the Spirit is being directed, empowered, led by the Spirit of God that's within you. Okay, now when we get this, it'll change who we are. It changes as a church. Here's what I mean. We're in worship. And you're singing. And you're worshiping God. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God raises something up within you. And it's about a brother or a sister that's going through some kind of situation. You may not even know about anything going on. But God raises up a brother or a sister in your mind, in, your, in the Spirit. And you immediately almost have to stop the focus of worship and begin to pray, Lord. And you begin to pray for. There are times, and I told you that one Sunday where I didn't get to preach. Remember, I said I've been waiting eight months for that day. Because the Spirit of the Lord stirred something within me on that moment and says, I'm here to do this right now. I said, Lord, we've got a plan. He said, I could care less about your plan. He said, I said, I'm here to do this right now. And we interrupted that time to say, okay, the Lord is moving in this way. Do you, does somebody need to happen? And it's always scary because you could just sit there and look at me. But if you're functioning in the Spirit, in the sphere of the Spirit, in the occasion of the Spirit, He's directing our path. You may have this weird thought, I need to take, I had this hundred bucks in my billfold, and I'm not sure why it was there, but the Lord told me to take it over to that, that young family. And so my act of worship was I get up and I go over and I say, the Lord's told me you guys need this and I want to bless you with it. You say, well, they may think I'm weird. I know they won't. You give me a hundred bucks, I'm going to say you're awesome. Do you hear what I'm saying? Or in your worship, you might, the Spirit of God. This happens all the time. I know it does to you. You'll be doing something and somebody's, somebody comes to mind. What do you think that is? That's the Spirit in you. And when you, if you start paying attention to it, he is saying, pray for, pray for this brother, pray for this sister. Lord, I don't know what's going on, but there may be something going on. Or, a lot of times, he says to me, you need to call. Say, are you doing okay? You're on my heart, just praying for you now. Everything going okay. But be directed by the Spirit within you. I think he's speaking to us and leading us much more than we give into or are willing to acknowledge. Because we think a lot of that is just our thoughts jumping around. Not if you've come to the Lord and the Spirit of God dwells within you. The Spirit will, we're to pray in the Spirit as directed by, as empowered by the, the Spirit of God within us. The two weapons, the Word. If you watch sometimes when I walk into the worship room, there'll be people, individuals, who'll walk up to me and they'll start talking into my ear. And you're gonna, they're going to say, you're going to say, what's, what's that all about? Many times it's somebody's quoting to me a scripture that they, I made them an assignment. They came in at some point and we've talked and they were being defeated by fear and lies and deception and they were being bullied 
So you don't want to tell them? All right, here's what you do. What is the major fear? Let's find what God's truth is. I want you to start memorizing scriptures around this truth. And every Sunday, I want you to come and tell me that scripture for an accountability. I want to hear that you're memorizing that scripture. Why? I'm putting the, they're getting tools in their belt. Getting weapons in their belt. So that when the enemy rises up against you, you can pull out your weapon and defeat it. So you got the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and praying in the spirit, being directed by the spirit. And the scripture's very clear. Those defeat anything and everything that the enemy will bring against us. Just two weapons. Learn how to use them. The word and praying in the spirit. Directed by, empowered by the spirit. Okay, you want to be bullied anymore or do you want to fight? Let's fight. And you need to be fighting for your babies. You need to be fighting for your kids. You need to be fighting for your marriage. You need to be fighting for your church. You need to be fighting for your nation. It doesn't say this is going to win sometimes. It says it wins every time. This is the power of God's kingdom. All right, remember my belt with my Nerf gun and my plastic sword? And I took it off, and he took it, and he gave me his belt and put it on here. He said, now, learn these weapons. This is my weakness for his strength. I give up my weakness for his strength. Are you sick and tired of hiding and attempting to keep from being hurt? You know what happens when we get hurt? We build walls. You're not going to hurt me like that anymore. We may not say that out loud, but we say that, don't we? I'm going to build me some bricks around here, don't you? And I'm going to get them high enough so you will never hurt me. Until one day we want to run out in freedom and we've realized we've just built our own prison. We can't get out. For this protective wall we've been. Are you sick and tired of being so afraid that you've built your own prison? The Lord says you want to win. You just need two weapons. The truth and the power of the spirit and prayer. And you can walk in victory. You don't have to stay in your house at night. You can walk down the middle of the dark streets in the power of the spirit. You're tired of being bullied. Tired of living in that isolation. Maybe it's time to come to the Lord. Give him your belt. Give him your robe. Take on his robe. Give him your belt. Let it take on his belt. And also, I will say that the church, look around. Look at all these lovely people. Aren't they awesome? We will fail you. Because we're just broken, messed up humans as well that have found our redemption in Christ. No better than anybody else. And, but, and we will have a tendency to hurt. But I'm saying, if when we determine we were going to be an army of Christ, it is, a, it is these believers who've exchanged their belts and got these new weapons who join together to make up a body, to make up an army. So if you've been isolated, maybe you need to come and say, I need to get in this family. Come and be a part of bringing yourself a part of this church. Why? For victory. Two questions. What did God say to you today? What specifically did God say to you today? Second question. What are you going to do about it?